you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We are right smack dab in the middle of our series on the subject of prayer. And the purpose of this series is for us to actually learn how to pray. Just as one of Jesus' disciples walked up to him one day in Luke chapter 11 and said, Lord, teach us to pray, our purpose is to come to the Lord and allow him to teach us how to do exactly that. And what's interesting is that when Jesus responded to that disciple who asked him to teach them how to pray, his response was to recount exactly what he taught previously at the Sermon on the Mount. So that teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching on prayer in his Sermon on the Mount has become our text for this series. And in his preface to that teaching, um, Jesus made it very clear that this prayer is not something to just be recited over and over and over again, right? Instead, it serves as more of an outline on how you are to pray to your Heavenly Father. So that's been our approach um, throughout this series. We've been breaking down each of the seven parts of this prayer, digging deep to understand what each part really means, and then looking at other scriptures and other, even other scriptural prayers that uh, we can pray rather than just reciting the, the phrase of the Lord's Prayer um, so, that our, you know, so that our prayer life can grow to become a lot more rich and meaningful. And today, you know, and we've been giving you, um, in your outline, we've been giving you scriptural prayers and, and scriptures to pray. And today is going to be kind of the exception because I don't need to teach you how to pray for things you want and need, right? <laughs> We're all pretty good at that. Kids are very good at asking their dads or moms what they want or what they need. And we are no different. So I don't need to teach you that, but I do want to focus on something else today. Um, now, before we move on, I want to review, I want to review a couple of, um, of key points that will directly apply to today's teaching. And the first one is this. And we've talked about this every week. Faith is the most important element to prayer. A scripture that most of us are all very familiar with, Hebrews 11.6, says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him, and we come to him through prayer, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And this is basically the same thing Jesus taught in his preface when he taught us how to pray in, in Matthew 6. He says in in verse 6, when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. See, to relate to, converse with, wrestle with, and, and trust a God that we can't engage with our senses requires faith. And in fact, spending time with God each day is probably the most faith-filled thing we do on a day-to-day basis. Fortunately, that's exactly what God's looking for. He, he, for us to come to him believing he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's what pleases him. Another important thing that we need to address before we move on is that the Lord's prayer is progressive. In other words, each part of the prayer informs the next. And 
I understand as we move on in this prayer, you could, there are, you could argue against that. But especially in these first four parts, each part of the prayer informs the next. And the reason I want to bring this up is because um, when we break the prayer apart in pieces like we're doing, and, you know, and we, we're doing that in an effort to understand what each part means and move away from just reciting and move towards a, a more rich and meaningful prayer life, when we do that, it's easy to make the mistake of thinking that these are all separate parts, standalone parts that, you know, we just have to sort of check off our list, right? Like, okay, I prayed the Our Father part. What's the next part? Oh, yeah, hallowed be the name, and you start moving in that direction. How many have ever done that? Yeah, I have too. All right. But no, this prayer flows, okay? And each part of the prayer informs the next. And that's not to say that you can't ever approach God and just start asking for things that you need, right? That's not what I'm saying here. Um, But we can't ignore the progression of this prayer either, much less the fact that Jesus was more than likely very intentional in the order in which he taught each of these elements. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about. A few weeks ago, we talked about the first part of the prayer, which is our Father in heaven. And we said that that's not addressing to whom we're speaking to. It is recognizing who we are in relationship to him. That he is the same righteous, just, and all-powerful God of the Old Testament. But because of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross, we don't have to approach him with fear and trembling like they did. Instead, we can boldly enter his presence. uh, The book of Hebrews tells us this. We can boldly enter his presence because we have been adopted as his very own children. With his blood, Jesus paid the price for every one of our sins so that by faith we can become God's very own kids. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of us confirming with our spirit that we are indeed his children and have this personally intimate relationship with him. So that's what that opening phrase, our Father in heaven, is all about. It's an approach to God, recognizing and acknowledging everything it took for us to become his kid, his child, so that we can call him our Father in heaven. Now, once we approach God, recognizing who we are in relationship to him, What's the appropriate response to that? Well, Jesus teaches us in the next part of the prayer that the only appropriate response to approaching God in full acknowledgement of how we became his children is, hallowed be your name. And I only say that that way because that's the way most of us memorize the prayer. Um, But the more modern translations help us to understand what that really means. Um, literally, it means, may your name be kept holy, which, again, sort of as, it begs the question, does me praying that his name be kept holy going to make his, if I don't pray that, is his name going to be any less holy, right? But other translations help bring the clarity, and it really means help us to bring honor to your name. For example, all of us were born into a family, And one of the worst things you can do as a member of your family is bring shame to your family, right? 
right? Whether you're a child or an adolescent or an adult, one of the worst things you can do as a member of a family is to dishonor the family name. And it's no different as a member of God's family. Jesus is teaching us that as we acknowledge that he is our father and we are a part of his family, one of the first and primary things we should be seeking from him is his help not to dishonor him, but to honor and bring glory to his name. And there are several examples of prayers all throughout the New Testament uh, that pray this exact same thing. And my favorite one is 2 Thessalonians 1, chapter, or, uh, verses 11 and 12. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, and he's telling them what he's praying for them. He says, so we keep on praying for you, asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what better way to pray, how would be that name than that right there? Or or help us to honor your name because it covers all the key points, right? That as his children, we need to live a life, we need to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to him. But we are dependent on his enabling power to do that. Right? We cannot do that in our own strength. We need his help. And when we yield to his enabling power to do the things our faith prompts us to do, then the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be honored. But it's all because of his grace towards us, not of our own. Right. So if we're going to live in a way that, that brings honor and glory to him, and we are going to elicit his help in this process... Then what? What's the best way to bring honor to him? I mean, immediately the question comes to mind, okay, how then should I live? What is your will for me? How do I live in, in, how do I live in a way that you want me to live? Um, if we're serious about living in a way that honors him, then we're going to want to seek his will, right? Which leads us to the next part of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, <clears throat> this is not to pray for God's will to be done as some distant concept, right? Like, God, let your will be done in our country, over there, right? Or let your will be done in foreign policy, whatever's going on overseas. Or, you know, what this is, and this is not to pray, you know, let your will be done over there, but I'm going to right where I'm at, living in my life of comfort and convenience, right? I'm not going to be a part of that, right? Notice this is praying for his will to be done in the context of acknowledging all it took for you to become a member of his family and in the context of seeking his help to bring honor and glory to his name, right? In other words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, me first. It starts here. See, if I'm going to bring honor and glory to my Heavenly Father, then I have to live a life in accordance with His will, right? 
And if we have any hope of God's will being done in the earth, then his own kids, who are also ambassadors in this earth, should be leading the way in that, right? I mean, what chance is God's will being done as it is in heaven on the earth if his own kids aren't even doing it? There's no chance, right? And Riken did a great job last week sort of breaking all this down. And if you missed it, I encourage you to, to get online and listen to that. Okay, now, moving on. All that was to get us to this point. Let me ask you a question. If we have approached God recognizing who we are in relation to him and all, of it, all that it took for us to be a part of his family, and as a result, we are sincerely seeking his help to live in such a way that brings honor and glory to him, which leads us to acknowledge that if we're going to honor him, then we have to surrender our wills to his will, then how do you think that will inform the next part of the prayer where we begin to start asking for stuff? I mean, just for a minute, think about all of the pathetic, petty, selfish, ridiculous, insignificant prayers that we have prayed. And we've prayed a lot of those, right? I mean, just think for a minute. Anybody want to share one? I mean, I've I've been trying to think of some, some specifics, but I can't. There's been a number of times where, like, something has happened, but I don't know all the details of that thing that's happened, and I'll be, like, praying, God, please don't let it be this. But it's already happened, right? So how's that? That's kind of a really... You know, because I'm really fearful of what it could be or how, how it might impl- Im- implicate me. And so I pray for something not to be, the way, even though it may already be. <laughs> it's kind of silly. Anybody have anything else? Yes. It's silly, whenever there's like a chance of snow, I'll like pray like, oh, I don't want it to snow. Don't do the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes. Yeah, anybody pray those late prayers, especially going to work? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I know somebody who um, would get so worked up watching a movie, especially a suspenseful one, that they would start praying for the outcome of the movie. <laughs> Let's, um, so anyway. Um, I do that. Do you? <laughs> Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Anybody else pray for movies? Okay. (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, Anybody else have something? Okay. So, anyway, um, we've prayed lots of silly, insignificant, selfish, ridiculous prayers, right? But do you think that we would have prayed those selfish, ridiculous things if we had had acknowledged these things to begin with? Right? If, I mean, I, I, no, I guarantee you wouldn't have. If you had acknowledged all these things that we just talked about, all these three parts of the prayer leading up to where we start asking for stuff, I guarantee you wouldn't be 
so insignificant and selfish in your requests if you're seeking, sincerely seeking his will and to honor him, right? See, as Jesus teaches us how to pray, he teaches us what to pray first so that our hearts are in the right place before we even start asking for stuff. Every part of the, each part of the prayer informs the next. And if we're sincerely seeking his will and his kingdom prior to asking for stuff we need, then before we get to that part, we're going to ask in accordance with his will, aren't we? Seeking God's will and his kingdom first will have a profound impact on what we ask for. And Jesus even kind of spelled this out for us later on in his sermon. Um, later on in chapter 6, Jesus is teaching us not to worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to drink and what we're going to wear. He gives some pretty compelling reasons for each one of those why we shouldn't worry for those things. And then he says this, verse 31. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Other versions say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This version says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Isn't that interesting that seeking his kingdom... And living in a way that honors him, living righteously, comes before that promise. And that's the progression that he taught us to pray in. My point is this. If we ignore the previous part of the prayer, and I'm not saying you can't ever jump to that, right? I'm not saying that at all. But if, if our habit is to ignore this part of the prayer and always jump into asking for stuff... Um, then we run the risk of praying for things that are not in accordance with his will. And honestly, haven't we all done enough of that? Let's grow up a little bit and move on, shall we? Okay, so today I'm sure, as you've already guessed, um, we're going to talk about the part of the prayer that's probably your favorite part, right? Where it's where we get to ask for stuff. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Now, remember... Jesus is teaching this at his Sermon on the Mount, right? So who's his audience? Is it the Romans? Is it the Gentiles? Is it Italians? Is it Russians? Is it boomers, millennials? No, it's what? Jews, yeah, it's first century Jews. Jesus had a Jewish audience that day. Now, what do you think every person in his audience would have immediately thought of when he, as soon as Jesus said the words, daily bread. Yeah, manna, exactly. They would have immediately thought of the time in their history when God supernaturally and miraculously provided their ancestors with uh, bread on a daily basis. And you remember the story. God delivers the, um, the Israelites from the slavery of the Egyptians. They get out into the middle of the desert and they start whining, right? They start whining to Moses. They're like, oh, if God had only killed us back in Egypt, 
right? We, we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now, Moses, you have brought us out in the desert to starve us to death. And then God replies in verse, six, or verse 11 of Exodus 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. How many of you are on diets where you can't eat bread? Okay, that's a lie, okay? It says right here, God wants you to eat all the bread you want, okay? All right, yeah, let's just get that out of the way. But seriously, think about this for a moment. God miraculously provided all the food they needed. Not just once, not just for a month. How long did God provide for them? Forty years. Forty years. For 40 years, God provided quail at night and manna in the morning that they could use to bake bread. And God didn't, you know, send shipments in that would last a week or a month at a time. You know, every day, 14,610 days, God was their source. The only day that food wasn't miraculously provided was a Sabbath because they weren't allowed to work and gathering the food would have meant working. Um, But twice the amount of food would fall or or be provided the day before so that they would have enough to get through the Sabbath, right? But God was their source every single day. In the same way, Jesus doesn't teach us to pray or or God, give us what we need for the next week. God, give us what we need for the next month. And if we're honest, some of us are probably more in the habit of praying that because, you know, we have monthly rent and monthly bills, and that's the only time we sort of pray for that, right? But no, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus teaches us to ask our Heavenly Father for what we need that day. Now we just looked at Matthew 6:32 where Jesus said, "Your heavenly Father already knows your needs." Right? And because of that, there's something that I believe every Christian struggles with at one point or another, and that's this question. Well, if God already knows what I need, then why do I have to ask for it? How many of you ever asked that question? Okay, a few of you nodding heads. Okay. Um, why does Jesus teach us to pray for our needs? God already knows our needs. I believe the reason that Jesus asks us to pray for our daily needs is because when, when God already knows our needs is because Jesus is teaching us to build into our lives a daily dependence on his provision. Jesus is teaching us to build into our lives a daily dependence on him. Just like God provided for the Israelites every single day, God has promised to meet the needs of his children as well. That's why Paul was able to say with such confidence to the Philippians when he wrote in Philippians 4, he says, And this same God who takes care of me 
will supply all your needs from his glorious riches. Right? I mean, he's not going to run out. No matter how many Christians there are, he's never going to run out. Right? He will... This same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Paul knew from his own experience that God was his source. And he could say with confidence that God would meet their needs as well. And you might know that in your head, but do you really know it in your heart? See, the longer I live as a follower of Jesus Christ, and the longer I live as a pastor leading his people, the more and more and more I am convinced that God works to build two things in us throughout our lifetime. God works to build within us an absolute trust in him and a total dependence on him. And he uses everything at his disposal to do that. He'll use hardships, trials, he'll use blessings, he'll use his grace, he'll use other people, he'll use everything available to help build those in us. And you might think those two things are the same. Um, and yes, they might be able to use, the terms might be able to be used interchangeably. But I think there's a difference between the two. For example, most all of us in here trust God for our eternity, right? We trust, we trust him with our salvation. We trust that Jesus' sacrifice is enough to cover our sin. So that when we stand before him, we don't have to be afraid, right? Um, and, and, you know, you can trust him with, with, like you trust him with your eternity, right? But then a lot of us will turn right around and depend on our own strength and depend on our own abilities and even depend on your own money to get you through this life, right? I think most of us here do a better job at trusting in him rather than depending on him. I mean, eternity is out of our control, right? And so it's easier to trust in him for things that are out of our control, right? We have no other options. But because we have so much resources at our disposal, it is a little harder to daily depend on him, right? But the truth of the matter is, whether you realize this or not, you are absolutely dependent on your Heavenly Father. Whether you practice that or not, you are absolutely dependent on your Heavenly Father. <laughs> Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people, belong to him. Right? Acts 17, 24 through 25 says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in, man, in, in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything. And he satisfies every need. So if everything belongs to him, and even our life breath comes from him, then how foolish are we 
to not depend on him daily for everything we need. Yet we do it all the time, don't we? So what I want to ask you to do is answer this question. This is just a question between you and God. There's space in your outline for you to fill in that blank. What are some of the things you find yourself depending on rather than God? Is it your own strength? Is it your health? You take your health for granted? Is it your money? That you don't you have so much of it you don't worry about it? Is it your talents? Is it your job? You have such a secure job, you don't have to ever worry about where your provision is coming from. Is it your own abilities? Is it that you can talk your way in and out of any situation because God gave you that gift? What is what do you find? What are some of the things you find yourself depending on rather than God on a daily basis? You know, I think out of all the things that we can mistakenly depend on, we are at greater risk of depending on our money than anything else. Uh, I mean, we just for where we live. We are among the richest people in the world. And, 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 because, and, and because there's so much of it so readily available in our culture, it's so easily to mistakenly depend on it rather than the one who has promised to meet all of our needs. That's why the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to write in 1 Timothy uh, 1. He says, teach those who are rich in this world, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. What's interesting is that Paul did not instruct Timothy to teach that to everyone, did he? He said, teach, the, teach who? Those who are rich, right? Those who are rich in this world. Those who aren't rich in this world don't have a problem with that because they're already depending on God on a daily basis, right? They're not placing their trust in money because they don't have it. So they have to depend on God. So we have to be careful, especially in our culture, not to let our abundance lead us away from an absolute dependence on our Heavenly Father. Because whether we realize it or not, we are absolutely dependent on Him. Okay, so if we're going to allow Jesus to teach us to pray, we can't ignore the order of, in which He taught us to do so. We approach our Heavenly Father, recognizing who we are in relationship to Him and acknowledging all that it took for us to become His children. We sincerely seek His help to live in such a way that we bring honor and glory to Him, which leads us to acknowledge that if we're going to honor Him, then we have to surrender our wills to Him, to His will, and seek His kingdom above our kingdom. And from there, we are in the perfect 
state of mind. We're in the perfect position. We are, our heart is prepared to ask God for everything we need. In the context of seeking his kingdom first and seeking his will above yours, boldly ask your heavenly father for whatever you need. And again, I'm not going to give you scriptures that illustrate how to do that because you already know how to do that. But I do want to leave you with this one scripture. And this is where faith comes in, where we talked about in the very beginning that faith is the most important element of prayer. Matthew 7, verses 9 through 11. Jesus said, You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Amen? Heavenly Father, we just come to you with humble and grateful hearts, God. Lord, we recognize that we've spent a lot of time being really selfish in our prayers. That we've wasted a lot of breath asking for silly, insignificant, selfish, ridiculous stuff. But Lord, as we yield and just sort of sit at Jesus' feet and allow him to teach us, it's pretty clear that there are some things we need to have in order first before we even begin asking for stuff. Not that we can never just boldly approach you in time of need and ask you. But Lord, as a practice, in our time spent with you on a regular basis, Lord, I think you want to build some things into us. I think you want to build into us just a recognition of who we are in relation to you and and how everything it took for for us to get there. I think you want to build in us Um, that the response to being a part of your family is that we live a life that honors you, but we are desperately in need of your help to do that. And I think you want to build in us a surrendering of our wills to yours. That as your children, as your representatives in this earth, we are leading the way in your kingdom coming and your will be d- being done because we're allowing it to take place in our lives. And it's from that position, from having those things built in our lives, that we're in the perfect position to ask you for things that we need but that are, but are imperfect accordance with your will. 
So I thank you, God. I, I pray that you would help us in this. Help us to grow. Help us to move beyond the selfishness and help us to move beyond our insignificant little lives that we would see the big picture that we are part of your family that we need to honor you and, and that you have a will and a plan and we get to be a part of it help us to surrender those things first God before we start making requests we thank you God for all these things Jesus' name, amen.